0: You'd make me feel real good if you'd lift that to Him for just a minute. such a delight to be with you tonight. Brother Cox, thank you so much for your kindness. If you try hard enough, he has proven tonight, you can say something nice about anybody. Even me. I read a while back about a fellow that was tracing his genealogy and researching his ancestry. And he found a great uncle a few generations back that was, um, well his character was a little less than sterling. In fact, the only picture he found of his great-great-uncle Remus Starr showed him standing on the gallows with a noose around his neck. He turned it over and read on the back and it said Remus Starr was a horse thief in the Montana Territory, 1872. Arrested, imprisoned, 1875, robbed the Montana Flyer Railroad five times. Was arrested by the Pinkerton Detective Agency in 1877, hung 1878. It's kind of hard to put that in your family story. But he cropped the picture down until he had cut out the gallows and cut out the rope and all he had was his uncle's face. And underneath it he wrote, Remus Starr was a famous cowboy in the Montana Territory whose business acquisitions grew to include valuable holdings in the Montana Railroad and several equestrian assets. Uncle Remus devoted several years of his life to service at a government institution, finally taking his leave in 1875 to resume his dealings with the railroad. In 1877, Uncle Remus played a key role in an investigation conducted by the renowned Pinkerton Detective Agency. Tragically, in 1878, Remus passed away during a civic function held in his honor When, when the platform on which he was standing collapsed. If you try hard enough, you can say something nice about anybody. And I appreciate your good superintendent's diligent effort tonight. Find something nice to say about me. <laughs> it's such a joy to be with you. And I give honor to your great leadership. To Brother Cox and Brother Harper and these members of the district board. Gentlemen, I thank you for having trusted me tonight and allowing me to be here. I give honor to the elder, the tenny, and all the great friends that I have here tonight. I um, I really feel like I've got something to preach this evening. And I want so much to be obedient to the Holy Ghost. Joshua chapter 4. I'm going to read beginning in verse number 5. Joshua chapter 4 and verse 5. The Bible says this, And Joshua said unto them, pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan and take ye up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. That this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers, Elder, when when a generation to come, ask the generation that preceded. What... What mean ye by these stones? Then ye shall answer them, that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan. The waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. I'm going to preach tonight at the constraint of the Holy Ghost a message, Follow the Stones. Follow the stones. If you have a Bible in your hand, would you be so gracious as to put that down and lift your hands and lift your voice and pray that the Holy Ghost would speak in this house. I'd like a thunderous sound to arise in here right now that God would order what happens here in the next little while. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray for a sovereign direction of Your Spirit. I ask in Your holy name that the Spirit of God that brings life would give direction to the Word of God. Lord Jesus, we need Your anointing to touch our hearts, to ready us for what You're going to say in this place. I pray, Lord Jesus, You would give me a boldness in Your Spirit, born not out of arrogance, God, keep my spirit right, but give me a boldness in the Holy Ghost tonight to be the voice that You have given me in this time. Jesus, help us tonight. Ready us, O Lord, and accomplish Your purpose that Your name only would receive glory in this house in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray it. Now lift Your voice and shout to God with a triumphant sound here. Hallelujah! 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 I thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You can be seated. Brother Tinney gave me great uh, comfort of spirit in his comments here earlier. I believe I'm in the vein of the Spirit. I am 43 years old. It's an interesting age to be, I've discovered, in the United Pentecostal Church. To some of you, you, I'm still wet behind the ears. To some of you, you're surprised I'm functioning without assistance. It's an amazing age to be. I'm not an elder. I don't claim to be. I certainly don't see myself as one that ought to instruct others in that regard. And yet, I'm not naive. I'm not a young man. I find myself in an interesting place. When Bishop Kenny gave us instructions, I didn't know which category I was in. I'm serious. I didn't know if I ought to seek out some 20-year-old guy, lay hands on him, or if I needed to find a 70-year-old individual lay hands on me. I'm a man without a country. My youth division days are four and a half years behind me now. Young people today say, Scott who? And that's all right. I never feel older when I watch Wayne Francis preach. I get tired just watching him. If If you've never seen that, then you don't understand a few years ago at General Conference, our General Superintendent, Brother Haney, had a vision to have a passing the mantle service. I was so excited they we had these beautiful cloth, tapestry, mantle things made up, and they were going to have those there that day, and, and, and we were going to come, and, and they were going to have older ministers lay those over the shoulders of young men and pray over them. I was so excited, and then I read the fine print. And I found out that to get a mantle, you had to be under 40. But to give one, you had to be over 50. It was a tragic thing to discover that I was too old to be anointed and too young to be a blessing. Pray for me. I'll tell you where I find myself, however. I see years slipping by me at a pace that's hard for me to get a hold of somehow. I'm, I'm now a part of the Missouri District Board. I distinctly remember that when I went in to get my local license, district boards were made up of old men. <laughs> now, in reality, they probably weren't much older than I am now. But when you're right out of Bible school, you see guys, I thought they were sneezing dust. But It's all perspective. But I find myself at this juncture, early 40s, of being between generations, of looking at elders ahead of me of whom I have such high regard, and then suddenly realizing that I can look over my shoulder and something occurs that didn't occur a few years ago. I can see an entire generation coming behind me. For a while there, when I looked over my shoulder, there was nobody behind me. And now I look back. And there is an entire generation of young men and young women coming up behind me. I see men and women of God 20 years my junior picking up the mantle of the work of God. And I'm so proud of you. But please allow me just a little latitude here this evening to speak and direct some comments perhaps to the generation that is on the trail behind me. To those that I look behind me that I'm trying to connect with the generation that I see before me. Please allow me just a little time here tonight to speak to some of you not as an elder, but certainly by years alone as your elder. Because I come here this evening with somewhat to say to you at the direction of the Holy Ghost. I come not with a rebuke, but with a voice of caution that is born out of a perspective that can only be provided by birthdays. My foundation tonight is not born out of disdain for you. I too, elder, am not numbered among those that think the church is falling apart. Don't number me among those that think everything is crumbling around us. I believe in the church's future. I believe in the future of the United Pentecostal Church. Don't number me among those doomsayers that say it's all falling apart. I'll echo back to what the Lord said on this rock. I will build my church and the very gates of hell. Now, come on, somebody. If the gates of hell can't tear it down, Hollywood sure enough isn't going to do it. And if the gates of hell can't tear it down, societal trends aren't going to do it. There are... There's a foundation that's secure. The hope of God standeth sure. I'm telling you, I believe in the future of the church. So my foundation tonight is not born out of disdain. I preach with high regard and with unbridled respect for your willingness to offer yourself to Him in the midst of a world that has set up me as an idol to be worshipped. However, At the constraint of the Holy Ghost, I have been sent to sound an alarm in this hour and to call a generation of disciples and indeed a generation of ministry that follows me down life's journey to a recommitment to some anchor points that have served us well and cannot be cast aside. I'm sorry, did I not say that plain? I'm preaching that it is the wrong time in a world of assorted winds of doctrine to lick your finger and stick it in the air and trim your sails toward the latest trend that the religious world heralds It's the wrong time for the generation after me to wonder if what our elders handed us is still functional in 2008. It is the wrong time to let the foundations of our faith be in a limp-wristed grip. It's time for a generation coming to plant their feet and say, I will cling. I will stand. I need somebody to preach for me right now. I'm not talking about embracing them with an apathy. I'm talking about embracing this with a passion. I'm trying to get where I'm going but I'm just telling some of you that are 25 and 30 and don't think 45 will ever come you're going to turn around twice and the birthdays are going to roll by and if you want to stand where I stand and look back at the generation that's going to follow you there must be some non-negotiable tenets of who we are of what we believe of how we live of how we look, of how we talk, of how we dress, how far you want me to go, of how we worship, of how we pray, of how we baptize. I need a generation of preachers behind me to say I don't have to do this, I get to be this. I'm not apostolic because I'm forced to. I'm apostolic because I'm free to. This is not a shackle. This is salvation. This is not bondage. This is a blessing. I would to God that everybody my age and down would stand up right now. Every preacher, you can stay standing if you're older, I don't care, but I wish every young preacher in this house would stand up. You listen to me. You're blessed to be an apostolic. You're blessed to believe in John 3. You're blessed to believe in Acts 2. You're blessed to live separate. You're blessed to be called to holiness. You're blessed to be this. Come on, somebody. This has not held me back. This isn't a burden on my life. This isn't something I'm trying to get loose of. I've already been set free. That's why I'm in the church. I'm not looking for a different path. There is no different path. There is one Lord and one faith and one baptism and one God and Father of all. He didn't say I am a way. He said I am the way. It is inherently exclusionary. It is by its very definition and essence restrictive. I get so sick of that nasty attitude that just, But who are you to judge? I didn't know I was judging. I thought I was preaching. See, it's not about you and me judging. It's about standing fast on some things in that Word. I'm not talking about having an ugly attitude. I'm not talking about being bitter. God will judge us if we're ever ugly with His message. But you've got to stand fast. It's the foundation that our fathers have given us. I'm calling a generation of men who follow me to join me tonight in a renewed commitment to the purity of who we are. You are a part of the United Pentecostal Church, and that means something. I I am not an inherently confrontational kind of guy. In fact, I'm pretty hard upset. You have people come up and I need to apologize to you. I say, please tell me what you did so i know what to forgive you of. Because I'm just not going to go through life with a chip on my shoulder, getting my feelings hurt every few seconds. I just don't have time for that. I'm telling you, if you walk up to me after the church and say, I think you're about the sorriest preacher I ever heard, I'm going to feel so sorry for you that you've got such poor taste in preachers. Spit my call me a dirty, rotten skunk, and I think I can handle it. But when a generation, when members of a generation, it's not a whole generation, but when members of a generation begin to casually cast aside what men that journeyed before the Nile River, and then after God had delivered them with a mighty hand, they made crushing mistakes and sinned against Him. And now 40 years removed, they have watched their fellows fall in the wilderness. Until at last, only those two old, out-of-date, disconnected, irrelevant, gray-headed old men, Joshua and Caleb, remain. The priests carry the ark, their feet touch the waters of Jordan, and then God demonstrates once again His power the river stands up as a heap the ground dries out and some two million plus redeemed people see their way clear into the abundance of God's promise. Obstacles have been removed barriers have been torn down and after a long wait after 40 years of saying it's coming, it's coming it's coming, it's coming suddenly it was there this new generation was poised to march into everything that God had promised their daddies. Unlimited possibilities beckon them. Dreams of glorious tomorrows shimmer just over the horizon of yesterday's challenges. They are poised to advance into territories that their ancestors had dreamed about and prayed about and waited for. And with youthful zeal, they longed to rush into the bounty of what lay before them. And then that voice calling them to pause. Wait just a minute before you go forward. Stop just a moment. There's something important that we've got to do. It was older than their voice. It sounded a little weary. It came from a life that had seen more than they had seen. And it said, wait just a moment. Some probably question the timing. Wait! We've waited so long. Stop right now, but it's finally right here. After all that time, we've finally got the chance. I don't want to stop. I want to conquer strong cities. I want to eat from the olive trees. I want to drink out of wells that I didn't dig. And it's right here in front of us. And Joshua says, wait just a minute. There's one thing you need to do to ensure your success. I want you to go down in that riverbed. And I want you to bring out twelve stones. I want you to put them on your shoulder. And I want you to take them to the very site of the miraculous deliverance. Bring them into the place you're being given. And build you a memorial. What are we commemorating? It is a memorial to what got you here. Come on, preach the way. Every now and then he said, while you're running around enjoying the bounty of where God has brought you, the younger among you need to go revisit what got you here. They need to have it rehearsed to them. They need, mm, lest you lose your connection. There's, you did never see the Red Sea part. And you don't know what manna tastes like. And you don't know. You weren't there the first time blood was painted on the door. You need to go find somebody that can tell you about things you didn't see of or You need to go find somebody that can testify to you about sacrifices made that you never made. You need to go have somebody tell you how your shoes didn't wear out in the wilderness. You need to have somebody tell you about that pillar of fire that kept the Egyptians off your back. You need to find somebody that can tell you. Uh, I'm just about to feel my liberty. Young man, I caution you. You do yourself a disservice when you sit down with your peers and discuss whether or not these stones are valuable. You put yourself in a dangerous position when a bunch of you that never came through the Red Sea sit around and try to decide whether or not the stones still have value. I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to run over there. You need to run over there and say, Elder, tell me about that. Tell me about one God. Tell me about Jesus' day baptism. Tell me why it matters. Tell me why it's important. Don't you throw that thing aside until you talk to somebody that brought us here. Don't you cast it aside until somebody that knows its value speaks into your life. You need to run, and you need to fall prostrate down before this man and say, Tell me. Tell me why separation matters. Tell me how you build a strong church. Tell me about all-night prayer meetings. Tell me about it. I wasn't there. I never paid the price they paid. I've never seen what they've seen. And before I cast it aside, somebody tell me about these stones. The church ain't going down. But individuals, I've seen them, who got with their buddies... I think that's weighting me down. I think that's holding me back. That's a little heavy to carry. I'm not sure that's really necessary. I don't know if it really matters. And somewhere back down the line, there's an elder saying, Son, don't throw that thing aside. That's what got us here. That's what got us here. That's what got us here. God help us. I don't want to get so caught up in the blessings of my inheritance that I forget the sacrifice of my heritage. And so I take up the voice of Joshua tonight. I'm so excited about where his church is going. You're going to see things that we've preached about, that we believe for. That we fasted and prayed for. And I'm not done. I plan to be right there with you. We have the single greatest Sunday we've ever had in the history of our church. This spring we had twenty-five get the Holy Ghost in one Sunday. That may be nothing for you, but that was big for us. So I'm not checking out. I'm telling you, this is the most exciting day to be a part of the church. We are standing and gazing at horizons which shimmer with potential and possibility. But hear me. Pause in your progress before you get so caught up in where God is taking you. Stop just long enough to examine some unmovable things from where he brought us. Tonight, I'm calling you to a connection with some stones. God didn't plant a stick in the ground. He said, you take stones. Because stones don't move quick. Stones don't erode quickly. They'll be there tomorrow. They'll be there for my children. They'll be there for my grandchildren. They'll be there for my great grandchildren. In Oregon, the foothills of the western slopes of the mountains, there is a, a phenomenon in the forest there. You have to see it to appreciate it. There's a row of trees that grow in a perfectly straight line. Mature trees, fully grown dead straight line. But the amazing thing about them is that none of the trunks reach the ground. They're suspended in the air by their root system. And the roots don't form a circle. They go out in two directions like the legs of a sentinel. And they're in a perfectly straight line. They're six foot long You can look down that colonnade down that tunnel that's formed by the roots of those trees. You can, you can You can walk down under that thing. The story behind it Is what's known as a nursery log. Looks like this. It's a see the thing was that someday in the past an old tree fell, and the seeds of the young tree of the trees landed on the bark of that tree. That's what you can see there in the lower right. That those are little seedlings, little trees that landed on the bark of that log that fell, and they began to sprout there. Well, as they grew, see, there came a time. They had to put down their own roots. And so they start looking like this. Until finally, that old tree rotted away from underneath them. And it left them standing with their roots anchored where the previous generation had. See, that little seedling didn't say this is holding me back. That little seedling didn't say I'm looking for greener pastures. That little seedling didn't say this is old and outdated. It said, I'm going to take my identity. I'm going to take my identity from the generation before me. And then I'm going to put my roots down in the soil that was fertilized by their life. Life. Come on, United Pentecostal Church. I'm calling on some young families and young preachers and young ministries. Put your roots down in this thing. Sink your roots in the soil that's been fertilized by the testimony of our elders. So what is it, if you listen to those songs, what do they justify about? Well, they commemorate the water and the clouds. <laughs> Joshua said, young man, every time you see that stone, you remember that what got us here was the water and the cloud." Don't you for one second think that there's any way to get from Egypt to Canaan except through the water and under the cloud. He said, Son, if we hadn't come through the water, we'd still be in slavery. If we hadn't passed under the cloud, we'd still be building pyramids. But because I went through the water and because I came through the cloud, Egypt is a distant memory. And I'm living in a place that God promised They said there were some that thought there was a shortcut. And some set out on another way. And they thought all that water and all that cloud stuff was just for the last generation. But you listen to the voice of Joshua tonight. There's no way to get sinners from Egypt to Canaan except through the water and under the clouds. I'm sorry, is that boring to you? Let me go on record. Except a man be born again of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm sorry. you got to love this more than that. you got to be sold out to this more than that. This isn't just a preference. You can't tear this out of my hand. This isn't something out of convenience. I've got a hold of a testimony of my elders. And a generation... Where some, for reasons I cannot understand, are casually casting us aside, I let me be the voice of one who precedes you on the journey. This, me- I hope, you can say, Amen. This message is not outdated, and it's not in need of a facelift. Let me try this: You don't have to beautify salvation; salvation beautifies us. Come on, honey, you don't have to make it palatable. God already made it great salvation. You don't have to decorate it. Just declare it. You don't have to package it. Just preach it. Preach it. Preach it. Preach it, young men. Preach Acts chapter 2. Preach John chapter 3. There's no way out of Egypt except through the water and under the clouds. God is not calling us to shape this message to a generation. God is calling this generation to be shaped by this message. See, see stones don't give in to pressure. They just keep their shape. No Zogby pole changes the shape of that rock. No article in charisma changes the shape of that rock. I'll learn what I can learn from every source I can learn, but some things can not be forfeited. My grandfather. Preached the gospel for sixty five years. Do any of you know him? He didn't ever stand in a venue like this. He was never on the platform at General Conference. He just started seven churches, that's all. Yeah, he just down in Southern Illinois. He was laying in his easy chair one time, kicked back. I like that chair. You earned it. You sit back at Jesus' easy one day and he got to tell me about shoveling coal in the carts pulled by mules 12 hours a day out of the coal mines in southern Illinois. Then after doing that for 12 hours, go out and preach on street corners of those cities down in southern Illinois, start churches. He got to tell me one day about preaching outside this bar and this guy walked out, went to his truck, got a double barrel 12 gauge shotgun. Put it up against his chest, thumb caught both hammers. He said, Preacher, you are really interfering with my drinking. And he said, I'm going to give you a pass tonight. But I'm going to be back here drinking tomorrow night, and if you interfere tomorrow night, I'm going to pull both triggers. And with that, my grandpa just laid his head back and went to sleep. I figured there's got to be more to that story. I woke him up, I said, Hey. I said, what'd you do? He looked at me like I didn't have two brain cells touching each other. He said, I went back and preached. And I said, I said, but Grandpa, what what would you have done if he had pulled the triggers? He looked at me and said, boy, how's he going to threaten me with heaven? on his deathbed. Incoherent for the last three days of his life. I was seated beside him. He hadn't been awake nor spoke a word in three days. And all of a sudden, laying there in that bed, before I'd even acknowledged the call to preach, I was still studying engineering at the University of Illinois. I was sitting there by his bedside, and he woke straight up, eyes wide open. He couldn't see his glasses were over there, but he reached out with his hand, and he found his old Bible there on his nightstand. And then he reached out with his hand, And he found the lapel of my coat. And he took that Bible. He slapped it up against my chest. And the last words he ever spoke to me on this planet, he said, Preach truth son! Preach truth! You think I'm going to throw away granddaddy's rock just because somebody tells me I can get a bigger number in Sunday school? Not on your life. I'm in this to stay. I've got my roots down deep. Okay, here we go. These stones talk about the water and the clouds. This is where you may get ugly with me, but I'm not scared of you unless you're a pilot for Northwest Airlines. These stones commemorate lives that were governed by Him. When you ask those old elders about the testimony of the stones, you would have heard them tell you about a God who was rather intrusive in their life. A God who had the audacity to think that just because he got them out of slavery, he had the right to tell them how to live. Imagine that. A God that just because he got the Egyptians off their back, thought he had a right to tell them how to dress. God who really did say, walk here, go there, do that, don't do this, and that stone would tell you about a God that directed their every turn, a God who dictated how they walked, a God who specified what they wore, a God who decided what they look like. Come on, somebody. A God that said, my people are going to stand out from all the people on the earth and they are going to be a testimony of my holiness. What are these stones about? They testify to a God who called them to be separate. No, let me try again. They testify to a God that called them to be separate. A God who never demanded that they be omnipotent because He was. A God who never expected them to be omniscient because He was. A God that didn't tell them you better be omnipresent because that's what I am. But a God that looked at him and said, Be ye holy for I am holy. I will never understand why some seem to think that to be holy is to be ugly, or that holiness is a topic better left alone. I'm sorry. I thought this was a Pentecostal camp meeting. Seems like I remember reading that we worship the Lord in the in the beauty of holiness. God demands for us to do more than just acknowledge His holiness. He says, "Be ye holy." We have to strive to be holy. And I am pastoring in a generation who knows enough about Him to make an argument, but not enough to make a change. Who knows enough about Him to be happy, but not enough to be holy. Enough to be religious, but not enough to be righteous. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man. We have to follow Holiness. Holiness doesn't follow us. We have to follow holiness. You you gotta chase it down. You gotta work at it. I'm hardly a veteran pastor, I got four and a half years under my belt. But so I won't clue you into something. I don't try to clean them up the minute they come out of the baptistry. Of course not. God will slap you around if you abort His babies. But by the same token, if I'm not conscientious and persistent and intentional about preaching the principle of being holy and the beauty of being separate and the wonder of being consecrated. My church is not going to automatically default to being holy. My church will become more carnal and more worldly and more carnal and more worldly unless somebody stands up in the pulpit and says, wait just a minute. There's some things we're not going to let go of. There's some things we will not part with. Folks, This call to be holy is the call to commune with Him. It's the invitation to streamline the channels between us. It's the open summons for me to cry into intimate moments. Who shall stand in His holy place? Who's going to ascend in the hill of the Lord? He that's got the kick in his choir. He that's got the most righteous building. He that's got his act all together. He that is the most culturally relevant. He that is the most seeker-friendly. He who does his best to paint an apostolic face on the emerging church. He that hath clean house. And a pure heart. Clean hands what I am out here and pure heart what I am in here. Consecration, my dear ones, is being set apart. It's being set apart from sin and set apart to God. And either one without the other is a shallow excuse of what God's called us to be. If you try to be set apart from sin, without being set apart to God, you're a Pharisee who has confused self-righteous regulations with relationship. But if you try to be set apart to God without being set apart from sin, you are a farcical excuse of an apostolic who has confused liberty with license. But when we embrace this thing that says I get to be close to Him and I get to be separate from the world, we honor the pathways from the Word of God established by our elders. Because, young pastor, listen to me. Once you assuage your conscience by calling something a necessary evil, it begins to look more and more necessary. And less and less evil. I am compelled tonight to risk being misunderstood. I can handle that. So critique me, misconstrue me, misquote me, take the tape, lift out clips out of context, put them on YouTube. I'm a big old boy, I can handle it, and I got some big friends. Come take care of you. But I want to take a generation back to some stones. I pray to God you agree with what I'm about to say. But there are some marks of devotion in the apostolic church which are the hallmarks of our pursuit after Him. Our elders handed them to us. They are founded from the Scriptures and they are not to be lightly cast aside. I mean no offense to anyone, but allow me to be exactly what we are. I will not hang my head in shame for being a United Pentecostal. So here goes. Here goes. Our ladies manifest His holiness in the uncut hair that we devote to Him. Long that is not measured in inches, but measured in obedience. The consecration of our apparel compels us to modesty in the midst of a culture driven to every extreme of lascivious behavior and appearance. The distincter of gender in our dress pleases our God. It's good that our ladies look like ladies, and it's good that our men look like men. Our disciplines founded in Scripture that put restrictions on things like makeup and jewelry are not self-righteous feathers in our cap. They are our effort to pursue after a holy God. It's not what saves us. It is our response to be saved. And anything that that book points to me That's the best way to live. That's good enough for me. You don't have to prove to me that it'll send me to hell. You don't have to prove to me it'll send me to hell. I'm looking to please Jesus. I'm not a lawyer arguing for my rights. I am a lover aiming for His righteousness. I'm not living for Him just to escape hell. I'm seeking a relationship with Jesus. I'm not talking about being ugly, but I'm talking about being founded. It's the thing that will not change. Yes! Yes! Because I've grown weary and I'm concerned with too many young voices whose chief aim seems to be relevance and acceptance and getting too caught up in buzzwords like emerging church and seeker friendly. I preach to you in your quest to be relevant, don't forget to be righteous. In your journey to be helpful, don't fail to be holy. As you seek to be connected, don't abandon being consecrated. As you desire to touch the seeker, don't forget to teach separation. Because I'm just going to get right in your face and tell you that the church has always been counter-cultural. If you think you could package this to fit in, Jesus said, they hated me. They're going to hate you. Because, my dear friends, there's no way to make conviction pleasant. There's no way to make the unclean feel comfortable in the presence of infinite holiness. Say, don't you want sinners to be comfortable in your church? No! I want them to feel welcome, but I don't want them to feel comfortable. I want the Holy Ghost to get them. I want the Spirit of God to draw. Him. I want the Holy atmosphere in that place to grab the heart of every sinner. I feel tears drip down off their cheeks and say, I don't know what's here, but I feel a Holy God in this place. I was laying on my face in my office. And I that I've been too long. I was laying on my face in my office weeping over a friend. who walked away. He still loves God. But he walked away. He was on my face crying a puddle of tears. and I said, God, I don't understand. You said you've got us in your hands. Nobody can pluck us out. How did that happen to you? And I'm very careful about God spoke to me. and said this because I wish he talked to me every day, but I just think the way it is. But he does. And I'm not smart enough to come up with this, so I know it was him. He spoke to me and said, Son, I begin to lose my grip on a life the first time a man's heart seeks to explain away what his spirit already knows is wrong. he said when there's something that's been instilled down in his spirit by heritage and new birth, and he seeks to find a way to explain that away and decide it doesn't matter. He said he's wiggling, trying to get out of my grip. I laid on that floor and I said, oh God, don't ever let me fall prey to that. Don't ever let me make that mistake. I want my spirit to reign higher than my emotions. I want to stay in your hand. I want to stay true to some things I've been taught. I want to plant my Speak firmly in this thing! When Jacob... I'm, I'm going to get down. When Jacob walked in the field, he saw a birthright from Isaac. He... You know the story. Killed the goat. Mixed it up so it tasted like venison. Put the, put the goat skin on his hands and his neck. And, and, and he walked in there. And he you told know, Isaac... He couldn't see very good, and and so he he got there beside Jacob, and he said, "I can't. You look like you look like you might be Esau. The Bible says he smelled like the field. He said you smell like Esau. Let me taste that stuff you fixed. It, it, yeah, that tastes like what Esau does. Let me let me feel, You you feel like Esau, but you don't sound right." Because the last of your spiritual senses to be deceived is what you hear. But Brother Graham, I went to this big thing and I felt Jesus. What did you hear? I saw Benny Hinn lift somebody up out of a wheelchair. What did you hear? I don't care what you feel. I don't care what you see. I don't care what they smell like. I want to know what's the Word of God. What's being preached. What are they declaring? I want to ground my life in the unshakable, unchangeable testimony of the stone. His name... I'm done right here. His name was Douglas McKiernan. He was a CIA employee in China in 1949 when Mao Zedong and the Communist Party overran the country. He was at the consulate in the city of Kiwa in the Sengkeng province at the time. He stayed behind to destroy vital documents until normal modes of transportation had been cut off. And so Mr. McKiernan set out to flee for his life with four companions on a 1,200-mile journey across the Taklamakan Desert on horseback and on foot. The desert almost killed them. The name in Chinese means go in and you won't come out. Three days they went one time without water until coming to a slight seat that they could put their face in and suck enough water from the sand to be able to continue onward. Then after making it through the desert, they arrived at the Himalayan mountains in the dead of winter, having to cross them to reach the safety of Tibet. The path was hundreds of years old. The trail was well established. But as they crossed through the mountains, the towering snowdrifts in some places and the wind-swept barren rocks in others obscured their way. Mr. McKiernan got snow blindness in one eye. His hands and his feet were numb, and frostbite set in. His horse died out from under him. He was forced to walk the rest of the way, and his shoes were reduced to mere strips of leather tied around his feet. But in every remote village and in every isolated outpost, he would ask, Am I still on the path? Is this still the right way? Am I still doing right? And he always got the same answer. They would say to him, Follow the stone. Were in assorted places On their journey There would be piles of rocks Like that along the path There were places He would brush the snow aside In a mound To see if there were rocks Under there Other times He got separated from them And he had to come back And find them again But all along the way He followed them carefully For if he did not It would mean certain death If he ever lost sight of the rocks He was a goner At times, they seem to be out of sight. He would backtrack to ensure he was still on the right path because every now and then, you need to take a step back from where you are to see if you're still on the right path. And ultimately, those stones led him to the end of his journey. But what were the stones? Can you put that back up just a minute? What were the stones? What were they? You see, the ground there is consistently frozen. And so when travelers died, there was no way to bury them. So they would just pile stones over where they fell. And the trail was marked for safety by the testimony of former journeyers. The trail makers became the trail markers. And the message follow the stones Stand with me if you would. I would call some to take the journey with me. Follow the stones. Can you in your ears tonight hear the testimony of an E.L. Freeman? And witness this sacrifice, as he says to you, follow the stones. Listen to the voice of a Tom Barnes that blazed the trail. Follow the stones. Can you hear the echoing cry of a CJ Weeks who says, don't be lured down an alternate path. Follow the stones. Listen, can you hear old Glenn Smith testify and say, don't be deceived by voices that insist that this old path no longer works? Follow. The stones. Can you hear J. Roy Wheatner say, don't be lured by voices that call from over the hill. Say, come on this way. I've gone this way and I'm still alive. Yeah, but you haven't reached safety yet. Follow the stones. Can you hear the testimony of a Wayne Pounders? I says, son, young family, don't you casually or consciously kick over the stones. Because there's some coming after you that need to be able to follow the path. Follow the stones. Remove not the ancient landmarks which my fathers had set. Follow! The stones. Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. Follow the stones. I wish somebody pray right now. I wish some of you that are my generation and down would come hurry into this altar tonight and put your face on the carpet. I wish some of you that are my fellow travelers and the ones that are looking at the dust that I'm kicking up would come and hit on your face in this altar and say, oh God. Anchor me to the generation that came before me. Anchor me to the testimony of my elders. Anchor my family. I want to be grounded and established. I want to be firmly secure. I commit that I will ever preach this message. I commit that my church will ever be a church that manifests the holiness of God. I commit that we will be apostolic home. I commit that we will journey down this pathway that my elders have fled for and have fertilized with their very lives. I'm going to put my anchors down in this soil. Now I need some elders to come. I do wish some of you dear elders, we owe such a debt to you. I would to you, God you'd come and pass through this crowd. I know it's a little crowded, but I please, please, please help me. I need some elders, some of the board members, some of the elders to come down here and lay hands on these young men. I need you to pray over them. I need you to plead that there would be a transplant. Oh God, that there be a linking of our purpose. Yes, there's great days ahead. You're going to see what these elders have dreamed of. But in the process, you can't let go of what they gave us. Oh.